electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Fast Money starts right now. I'm Melissa Lee. Tonight's trader lineup, Guy Adami, Tim Seymour, Brian Kelly, and Jeff Nails. Coming up on Fast, the rant to reopen. What the f*** going on? When did this become flatten the curve, flatten the curve, flatten the curve to we have to find a cure or everyone's going to die? That video getting a lot of attention. Barcel Sports founder Dave Portnoy will join us. We will press him on his call to reopen the country. Plus, he'll tell us why he wants to punch Boeing in the face. But we begin with a semi-smackdown on a China crackdown. Chip stocks getting rocked as the U.S. takes new aim at Chinese tech giant Huawei. Elon Moy is live for us in Washington with more on this major developing story. Elon. Well, Melissa, the White House put Huawei on a blacklist a year ago, but the administration is still worried that it is relying too heavily on U.S. technology and on U.S. software. So today, the White House is tightening the restrictions around its supply chain. Companies will now be banned uh, from providing Huawei with chips made using American parts or American design unless they receive special permission from the Commerce Department. Now, of course, this also applies not just to Huawei, but also to its affiliate, including its in-house chip maker, High Silicon. And it comes at a time that the White House is trying to blame China for spreading the coronavirus. Now, just today, this afternoon, President Trump told reporters that he is not thrilled with the possibility that China won't fulfill its obligations under the phase one trade deal. And on this move against Huawei, the president does have the backing of the GOP's China hawks. On Twitter, Senator Tom Cotton said the U.S. must take strong action to cut off the Chinese Communist Party's access to technology that it uses to build a network of surveillance and repression around the world. Meanwhile, Senator Marco Rubio told us that China has been trying to sidestep the existing U.S. export controls. He said over the past several months, China's malign behavior has been on display for the world to see. And that includes tech-enabled surveillance and censorship. Now, Melissa, we did reach out to Huawei for comment. It declined at this time while it reviews the full details of these new regulations. Back over to you. All right, Elon, thank you. Elon Moy in Washington for us. And, of course, we saw the reaction across the board in the semiconductor space, in particular the chip equipment makers. Most chip makers out there globally use uh, chip equipment made in the United States. We saw names like KLA Tankor, LAM Research, as well as Applied Materials uh, really fall hard on this. Guy Adami. You were quick to say uh, when we first got the headlines that tensions with China would flare up. They're flaring. They're flaring, uh, yet the Nasdaq, are you a fan of Hank Stram, by the way? You know who Hank Stram is? You know I don't know who Hank Stram is, so why don't you just go on? So Hank Stram was the head coach of the Chiefs, and when he was Mike, he famously said, let's continue to matriculate the ball down the field. Well, the market, the Nasdaq, continues to matriculate its way to all-time highs regardless of the news flow. It's remarkable. But we have flagged that, and I'm shocked that the market isn't taking this more seriously. You know, you mentioned some of these names. Actually, AMAT is a name we talked about last night, and we collectively said to take profits after earnings. That proved to be correct. But the fact that the broader market, specifically the NASDAQ, doesn't seem to care about this news is remarkable to me, Mel. 
Why doesn't the market care about this news in your view, Jeff Mills? I think it actually does a little bit if you look back a couple of weeks ago. So Trump really ramped up the China rhetoric on April 30th. And guess what? April 29th was the peak of the most recent rally. So I think under the surface, the market actually is paying attention a little bit. And if you look at polling, it's pretty clear that voters feel like China handled this in a way that wasn't appropriate. So I think there's some political will to pursue these sorts of things against China. So China tensions, issues with the virus, it doesn't take a genius to figure out that that's probably not going to be good for the market overall, specifically as it relates to what's going on with semis. I think Taiwan Semiconductor probably right in the crosshairs. 10% of their revenue is sourced from Huawei directly. If you're looking at some of the companies within the U.S., some of those suppliers, I would look at KLA. I don't know the company intimately, but I think it's worth taking a look at. You know, it was down 5% today, but it was up 8% yesterday, still trading below 17 times forward earnings. And if you just look at the chart, and this is why I think it's interesting, it seems to have found support at an upward sloping 200-day moving average. But I agree with Guy. A lot of people have crowded into technology for its perceived level of safety. Valuations are up. Uh, the XLK sources 15% of its revenue from China. Companies like Apple, 20%. Microsoft, 10%. So I think it's an area of risk that's worth paying attention to. Tim? Well, I, I, we this week got to levels of relative, uh, you know, overbought, if we will, on on both the Nasdaq and even on the semiconductors. So uh, none of this should be a surprise. It comes at a time when when you know maybe you could have cooled it off. There's there's a real challenge for this administration to be caught between, I think, a very politically popular view on China uh, and and one that probably globally also has support. Uh, and the reality that if we go toe to toe here with uh, further engaging on this dynamic Huawei, which we have seen before, and it hasn't gone. Really well in terms of sentiment, but obviously then stepping up trade war rhetoric. Again, uh, it's an administration that also recognizes how important the market is to, to it, its staying in power. Um, so you have a case here where I do think you've got uh, a, a, a real headline-grabbing moment where I think China will continue to be uh, the dominant theme. And I, I actually I give a lot of respect for throwing caution to the wind on, in terms of the market. Now, to the market, um, this may be that opportunity where the underperformance of value relative to growth uh, has an opportunity. And, and you have kind of seen some of that in the last couple of days. Obviously, retail sales this morning, not a great number, but maybe better than expected. You saw retail outperform today. Uh, you've seen some of the miners and some of the, uh, you know, again, some of the more industrial-based stocks outperforming a bit. This may be uh, this ebb and flow, which also we've seen over the last couple of years. But um, agree with uh, the other guys. I, I don't think the market should have loved this news. And over the last couple of days, you've had headwinds, and the market's done, done a great job. It almost feels, and I know Jeff pointed out the levels and, and the reaction to the initial um, flare-up again of, of trade tensions, but BK, it almost feels like the market is discounting the ability of China to enact retaliatory measures, because if this does ramp, as Tim said, you know, tit for tat, and mm -hmm. we resume that sort of, um, you know, you do this to us, we'll do this back to you sort of cadence, um, that, that market period wasn't, wasn't mm -hmm. a fun one for us. <laughs> No, it wasn't. And, you know, I, I do think the market is probably under-evaluating this, but potentially what the market is saying is this is just political bluster at this point in time. Because what we saw in the last kind of trade skirmish is that we ultimately did come to a deal. But I think what the market's ignoring here is the fact that this is part of a broader 
trend towards onshoring. So bringing the supply chain back. So if you're a CEO of a company, it's no longer politically or logistically feasible to have a long supply chain that begins in Asia. You have to start bringing stuff back. And that means goods are going to cost a lot more as they come in. So companies like Walmart, who get a lot of their stuff from China, potentially, and this is a medium to longer term view, but potentially you could start to see price increases there as a result of this broad onshoring trend. So is that the I word that we're starting to think of then, Brian Kelly? I word being uh, inflation. Well, <laughs> inflation? Yeah, so I, yeah, inflation. So I actually think we're in a period of biflation where you have both rising prices on th some things where the onshoring costs, uh, causes that, you know, increase in prices, but at the same time, things that are oversupplied, airlines, cars, mm. uh, hotel rooms, all those prices should continue to fall. So you kind of have this dichotomy out there. It's very weird. It looks a little bit like the 1970s, but not exactly. And that's on top of a global pandemic guy. Independence, if you want it, causes inflation. I'm absolutely with BK. On top of that, you have had food inflation that nobody seems to want to talk about because they think it's magically going to go away, which it won't. The Fed won't acknowledge it. We have inflation in all the wrong places. Uh, and there's a problem brewing. I'm with BK. Again, I think the market is underestimating uh, how deleterious this rhetoric can be to the broader markets. And it's shocking to me on a day where we had every reason to go down in a meaningful way that the market ratcheted back the way it did. Of course, 24 hours is not a day make, Mel, as you know. Uh, but I'm really curious to see how this thing escalates over the next week or so. Gold star for deleterious. Edward Jones, who knows that just like life, financial planning isn't only about long-term goals. It's about the moments big and small along the way. And when it comes to achieving everyday financial goals, Edward Jones works hard to connect you with someone you can trust professionally and personally. That's why they created their free financial advisor matching tool to help you find a financial advisor in your community. When you take the quiz and get your matches, don't expect just a list of resumes. You'll also see each financial advisor's story and personal interests. And when it's time to meet for the first time, they'll focus on your story, asking questions to understand where you're headed and why. Because Edward Jones knows that at the end of the day, behind every financial goal is a life goal. And that's what really matters. To learn more and find your financial advisor partner, take the quiz at match.edwardjones.com. We've got some breaking news on Google. We've got to get to crossing within the past half hour. Let's get to Deidre Bosa with the details. Deidre. Hey, Melissa, an antitrust lawsuit against Google could be coming as soon as this summer. According to Dow Jones, citing sources, the report says that the Department of Justice and state attorneys general are well into planning for litigation. Now, Melissa, of course, we know that investigations were underway and they're focusing on Google's online advertising business, but... Investors may have thought that the threat was not imminent given Google's critical role in work from home and it's creating, remember, a contract tracing app with Apple that's going to be deployed by health authorities. So shares, they fell quite sharply in after hours trade because lawsuits could threaten its largest business. And that, of course, is digital advertising. The EU has taken the hardest stance against Google so far fining them over $9 billion in anti-competitive practices. But here in the U.S., 
Critics are calling for more than fines, including sanctions and even a breakup of the company. One thing, Melissa, that is not clear in the report, whether the state's attorney generals will file their own complaint or join a federal one. The DOJ declined to comment, and we are awaiting a comment from a statement from Google any minute now. Okay, Deidre, thank you. Deidre Bosa keeping us posted on uh, litigation potentially against Alphabet. This, the line that jumped out at me, Tim, in this Dow Jones story is that they're well into planning for yeah. litigation, which sounds like they're not going to be happy with just some fine like in the EU, that this could be a protracted battle, legal battle with Alphabet. And therefore, I mean, that is costly. That is distracting. That I mean, all those things. And it's been an overhang for the stock. And the question is, is this now, uh, you know, remember June 20, I think, sorry, June 3rd, 2019, when uh, DOJ announced Apple, Facebook and Google were all uh, potentially in the crosshairs. Uh, stocks traded down six, seven percent and then ultimately went on to set new highs. And, and so the question for Google is what has been the regulatory headwind? I, I think largely uh, we had worked through most of that. And if you just look at the last numbers that we got uh, from them, you know, clearly what's going on with their their growth in cloud. But the two billion. In, in MAUs in, in YouTube and the inflection point of that business is one of the reasons why the stock's been re-rating. Um, I do think this is a headwind that's not going to go away overnight. Obviously, we just heard a bit about the schedule of DOJ into the summer and then the states starting in the fall. Um, I will say Google's been through this before. Mm -hmm. uh, they've been through this around the world. They haven't been through it here. Um, but my sense here is, um, you know, unless they're made to be a scapegoat, there's a lot of other people um, that would be called into this. And I'm not sure this is what the DOJ is ready for. But um, tough talk uh, for a stock that largely has been defensive and has had a very good run. All right. We got some more breaking news here this time on Tesla. Phil LeBeau's got the story for us. Phil. Hey, Melissa, I am losing my voice, but I wanted to bring you some breaking news. We have learned that Tesla is zeroing in on two possible locations for its next gigafactory in the central United States. One location, Austin, Texas. The other location, Tulsa, Oklahoma. We know that uh, Tesla executives were seeing or uh, evaluating two locations, two specific locations in the Tulsa area uh, earlier this week. Now, we've reached out to Tesla. A spokesperson declines to comment on the search for a new Gigafactory location. This would be the fifth Gigafactory for Tesla. Earlier today, there was a report that Elon Musk had settled on Austin, Texas, but according to our sources, and they are people familiar with the search, they are looking at two possibilities, Austin and Tulsa, Oklahoma. And with my scratchy voice, I send it back to you, Melissa. Don't say another word, Phil, please. Thank you very much. Phil LeBeau in Chicago. Guy Adami, I mean, I don't know, I don't know if this is a game of high-stakes poker that Elon Musk is playing with the state of California, because to move from Fremont, that's a good 12 to 18 months. I mean, it's not, it doesn't cost zero to move an entire auto manufacturing plant from one state to another. Having never done that myself, it's hard <laughs> for me to speak intelligently about the costs associated <laughs> with it. But what I'll say is, you know, it's interesting to me since the start of this year, uh, all the moves that Elon Musk has been making feels as if he has some sort of air cover. I'm not quite sure where it's coming from, but he seems to be doing things that, you know, nine months or so ago, he probably wouldn't have done, and it's manifesting itself in the price. And quite frankly, the only thing more painful than listening to Phil LeBeau, playing hurt, by the way, and I respect that, is trying to play Tesla from the short side, Mel. So I'll just take a pass on the entire thing. All right. Coming up. Every day, 
Every day I'm down like 50 grand on Boeing like clockwork. I hate Boeing. I think we told him to get out of Boeing. Um, Davy Day Trader is back on Fast. He's got a bone to pick with Boeing, a little bit more than that, I'd say. We'll talk about that and his viral rant about reopening that's getting a lot of attention. Stay with us. Is America's primary system working? Is the Electoral College still the best process for electing a president? Could a third-party candidate ever be successful? In a new season of You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen gather the country's top experts to explore these issues and more as we approach the 2024 presidential election. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available now wherever you get your podcasts. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Demand for energy is projected to continue rising in the future. To help keep up, Chevron is increasing their U.S. oil and gas production, and they're innovating to help do it responsibly across their operations, including their Gulf of Mexico facilities, which are some of the world's lowest carbon intensity operations, helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable, and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash meeting demand. What the f*** is going on? When did this become flatten the curve, flatten the curve, flatten the curve to we have to find a cure or everyone's going to die? We're staying inside till there's a cure? When did that become the game? Who said we're getting the cure? That's not a guarantee. So we're just done as humans? People have been mentally preparing. We're doing what you ask. We've done exactly what you said. Now you're changing the rules. That rant reopened, going viral, grabbing the attention of millions. Some applauding it, others calling it appalling. Let's bring in Barstool Sports founder Dave Portnoy. Dave, um, we're going to talk stocks with you in just a minute, but we do want to talk about this rant first. It was a very impassioned rant. And you gave it from the standpoint of being a, a business owner, a founder yourself, correct? This was, an, this was not political. It was not meant to be political. It wasn't meant to be blue or red. This is strictly from, hey, this, this is me talking, right? Yeah, totally. And to be honest, the whole Corona thing, I don't think it ever should be political. I, you know, it's a shame when it is because everybody should be against Corona. I mean, it should be a unified stance against it. And, you know, Barstool, I started myself and it took me almost a decade to turn the corner with Barstool. And when I say I worked my fingers to the bone, I mean, I lived there's 24 hours in a day. I was working seven days a week. You know, I'd wake up at 7 a.m. I go to bed at 1 a.m. and I just worked the entire time. And if Corona hit, around the 10-year mark when I was doing Barstool, that would have been the end of me. And, you know, that's a terrible way for somebody who spent a, a decent port portion of their adult life to build to a certain point to have it end and have no say in it, no control in it. Um, so that was really it. It's about choice at some level. Mm -hmm. There's Corona's obviously a horrible thing. The only thing we know for certain is if you don't reopen small businesses, they're going to go out of business. Their life livelihood is going to be gone. I don't think anybody knows what's going to happen with Corona. Sure. I mean, the way they talk, who knows? We, so. and, and we don't know. But we do know some to some degree what happens when states do reopen, because a number of states have reopened. And we have seen the numbers play out so far. Minnesota, for instance, reopened April 27th. They've seen a 273 percent increase in cases since then. Iowa reopened May 1st. Cases are up 91 percent. South Carolina opened April 20th. Cases are up 89 percent. The list goes on, Dave. So while you may have a choice, this this is playing out right now across the country. So are you saying that 
we should reopen even though so far the numbers are very difficult. These are, I mean, these are percentages, but these well, are human lives behind these numbers. I, I, I would say that anybody can grab the percentages or numbers anyway. Notice Georgia wasn't in that state. Sweden is a country that hasn't gone on lockdown at all. And again, it's not political, but I very much could guarantee I could find you stats that contradict what you're going to say and whether that be mortality rate, that be healthy people don't really suffer the same way that somebody who has a pre-existing condition. So I think that actually speaks to, depending on your angle, you can pull any stat, any number, anything you want to create the case you want. I've heard um, people say the CDC, wear masks, don't wear masks. I went on rant the week before and said you should wear masks, and that became political. Everyone wants to get rid of it, but there is no distinctive numbers. I mean, the death rates right now, they're not astronomical, but is that because we did the lockdown? So I don't think there's answers. That's the problem. Mm -hmm. You don't know. So what if there is, like the L.A. mayor who said we'll never get back to normal without a cure? Well, what if there is no cure? Who's guaranteeing a cure? So we're just never back to normal, ever? So that the only thing that is certain is that if you don't allow people the chance, and by the way, when I say the chance, clearly if you're elderly or you have a pre-existing condition, you're more susceptible. At some level, they're gonna have to protect themselves. So maybe they have to be more careful, but somebody who's 25, 35 years old mm -hmm. and perfectly healthy, they should have the choice, I think, to, to do what they think is in their best right. interest. And, and your message has resonated with many out there, in fact. Um, Elon Musk, for one, and he tweeted, uh, well said, and he said, you should run for office. So just a quick question before we pivot to stocks, Dave. Are you going to run? <laughs> no, little known fact, I already tried. I ran for the mayor of Boston back in the day, and uh, they, they screwed me. They, they, you had to get signatures, and I paid a whole company to do it. But they could they could discount any signature if they couldn't read it, and they conveniently said they couldn't read about twenty thousand of my signatures, and I fell a thousand short. But no, no interest in political office. Okay, but you got the T-shirt just in case. Portnoy Musk, twenty twenty four. You got that ready. Capitals. You never know. Um, <laughs> let's let's talk about stocks. You started last time you're here with us. You told us a very cautionary tale. You put in three million dollars to work in the market quickly. Uh, lost six hundred thousand dollars taking big losses in names like Boeing, Lululemon, Shake Shack. And now the latest read is that you're down $1.1 million. And yeah, I don't like that graphic. That graphic's gross, but it's true. Why, why is that gross? That is the truth. That is your portfolio, Dave. Yeah, I and wish it was the other way. And yet, and so, yet you keep going into Boeing. <laughs> you came on the show last time. You asked about Boeing. Our traders couldn't be more clear about that stock, and you just can't quit it. I'm a, I'm a Boeing. I'm, I'm addicted to Boeing. You're right. I can't quit it. So I actually made a comeback. I was down 600. I went down a million and I basically got even. But this week has been a disaster because I went on a uh, cruise and airlines tirade. And, I, and when I say tirade, I was backing them. Warren Buffett came out, said, get out of the airlines. I said, what does the old man know? I'm going into the airlines. It did not work out my favor. Um, they came back today, the cruises, but I wasn't part of them. Spirit Airline, uh, that also is one I don't like. That killed me. And the thing that I'm learning, so I went heavy on Spirit Airline. And the firm Raymond James, about five seconds after I went heavy on Spirit, came out and told everyone to get out. And this is something maybe the traders will know. I'm convinced what's happening with a lot of these stocks. So Raymond James, I don't know how much they manage, 
but I'm sure they sold all their spirit before they came on and said, hey, get out of spirit. Guess what? They look like geniuses. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. And I'm sitting here with DDTG Global and I'm getting murdered by it. So I do think the airlines and the cruises are going to come back. I really do. Um, when they do, who knows? But I don't think Spirit's going out of business. I don't think Boeing's going out of business. I don't think Norwegian's going out of business. And they're all trading so low um, that you're going to get four or five extra money eventually. And even if one or two go out of business and you're diversified, you'll still probably make money. Hey, David, Sky, thanks for being here. So to answer your first question, there's supposed to be some sort of firewall between research and trading that sort of keeps those types of things from happening, uh, number one. Number two, you're a very emotional person, which makes you fantastic. But being emotional in trading is very difficult. Do you think you're able to take the emotion out of your trading and maybe it'll make you a better uh, trader? So the only thing I can do, it's a great question. I have to come up with a strategy that I just get up and walk away because I'll never take the emotion. I'm an emotional guy. Like even that rant that we showed earlier, a lot of people are being like he was yelling and screaming. That was like uh, monotone for me. That was not over the top. So I'm an emotional guy and, you know, I'm live streaming it. So it's sort of a show that I'm putting on. I probably wouldn't be doing the same things if it wasn't for the public <laughs> consumption, but it is. But I keep making a move. I, I have to tell myself when I think I've hit rock bottom, get up and walk away because I always make the move at the exact wrong time. Like the second I sell it, it, go, it, it, you know, it goes back up. Mm -hmm. I think so. I, that is something emotional. I think if I just got up when it's like, all right, it can't get worse than this. Go for a walk and come back. I think I'd be in better shape. I think you just pulled the curtain, Dave. I mean, you just... Pull aside the curtain, because I thought that guy in the rant was you all the time, <laughs> pulled up in your New York City apartment. But there's a little bit of a disappointment to be honest. I guess well, you can't I mean, be that I, way all the my time. My head would explode if yeah, I walked exactly. around that. I was mad when I did that because I was in the stock market and Fauci went before Senate and the stock market went. And then I started researching. I'm like, and that was a change in tone for yeah. me. But um, sure. I'm not that riled up. I'm a nice enough person if you just you see do, me walking you, you on the seem, street. You seem a-okay, Dave. We've got we to get to the final trade. So, Dave, why don't you give us one? Final trade. So, I, I'm right now on uh, Alibaba. I don't know what that means for China, but I know their earnings are coming next week, and I think they're kind of undervalued. It's been good since I've been involved. Hopefully, Trump doesn't shut them down if, or whatever that's all about. All right. No, my lucky will. Tim. I tell you what, I'm going to draft the best athlete available with El Presidente, Alibaba. The Chinese Internet stocks actually look immune. So sorry for piling on, Dave, but I'm on your team, man. Nice. BK. Uh, you sell the cyclical strength SLX. That's one way to do it. The general, Jeff Mills. So in honor of Dave being with us today, Penn National Gaming, you know, it's up big today, but I think on any pullbacks, you should take a look at it. It's been hit really hard, but I do like the 36% interest in bar stools. I think it gives us a presence in online gaming and then also the sports betting there. So I think once we get past all these issues with the virus, it, it's set up pretty well to recover. So P-E-N-N. -N. All right. And thanks. Louisiana and Mississippi casinos open next week, so it could be a good week. All right. Thanks for joining us, Dave. Options Action's up next. Have a great weekend. 
You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee.